Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is our epistle reading, Ephesians 2, 13 to 22. But to start with, I want to read through the preceding verses of chapter 2. The context of what the Lord is saying through Paul is good instruction for all wise men, making us wiser still, as Proverbs 9, 9 says. So you might have noticed that this week's sermon notes insert simply has the text of Ephesians chapter 2 printed out for you. No questions this week, no vocabulary this week, just scripture. That's so that you can mark up the text as you see fit. I want to encourage you to read, mark, and inwardly digest God's word. Pop the hood and get your hands dirty a little bit. Underline phrases, circle words, make notes, question marks, your, little, your own little shorthand, whatever it is that's going on in your head as we're going through the text, things that are popping out at you so you're aware of it. If you have your own personal Bible with you, maybe you want to just get rid of the insert altogether, go straight to the good book and do your work there. Cool. That's the idea, just getting you to, to look at Scripture. As you noticed the last few weeks, trying to get you to use all your senses, all your faculties, as the Lord is engaging you here in the divine service. So we're not just going through motions, but we're, we're really trying to learn and grow. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 2 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So already, right away, we're in it, deep. In sin and without Christ, we are the walking dead. Animated corpses who think we know what it is to be alive. We think we know what human is. We are all dead men apart from Christ. This is why at the very beginning of the divine service, as soon as we get church started, we, we sing our opening hymn, and then on page 203 in your hymnal, we make our confession. And we hear, since we are gathered to hear God's word, call upon him in prayer and praise and receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the fellowship of this altar. Fellowship, right? Let us first consider our unworthiness and confess before God and one another that we have sinned in thought, in word, and in deed, and that we cannot free ourselves from our sinful condition. Can dead men do anything? No, not a single thing. They're dead. We can't free ourselves from our sinful condition because our condition by another name is called dead. That's also why we start our confession by saying we are gathered. Again, dead men can't do anything for themselves. We have to have it done to us. Being gathered is something that is happening to you. We're passive in our gathering. We're being gathered by the Holy Spirit because we're incapable of gathering ourselves. If we had any life in us, any even just the smallest little bit, we couldn't say that we were, that our condition made it to where we couldn't do it, that we had nothing, that we were unworthy. But there's completely nothing in you when Jesus loves you that enables you to live. He gives you all the life. This is what we confess in the third article of the Apostles' Creed. The Holy Spirit is the doer 
in our lives and in the lives of all Christians. He's the animator, the, the actor. He brings us to life, inspiring us with the very breath of God. That's what the word inspire literally means, God breathed. So when you say an artist is inspired, that language is actually watered down a little bit from the original meaning. What they're trying to say is, man, that's a really good piece of art, right? It's God breathed that's that good. It was inspired. Adam in the garden when he was just clay, just dirt, was inanimate. And then God breathed his spirit into him. He inspired him to be alive. God has gathered us here this morning to listen to his word, and he enables each of us to not only hear his word, but then to pray it back to him. He puts his word in our mouths, and then he puts his word made flesh in our mouths as we receive the body and blood of Jesus. The fruit of the one perfect man's death, which gives life to all dead men, who respond to Christ's resuscitation efforts in faith, not resisting the one who's trying to give us life. The cross is where Jesus does CPR on you and brings you back to life. His sacraments are the paddles that shock you and get your heart beating. All right, so (laughs) we just barely got started, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world that is sinning, following the prince of the power of the air, that is the father of lies, Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that is at work in unrepentant sinners, people who've rejected the life-giving truth of God's love in Christ, believing Satan's lies instead, being sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We all follow our passions of our flesh. Christian, we must never forget that the thing we have in common with the rest of humanity is our sin. Jesus' sacrificial love given to you through baptism and communion, through the preaching of the words of forgiveness, the declaration of the gospel, That's the only thing that distinguishes you from anyone else, from the rest of mankind. It's nothing within yourself. Apart from Jesus, you are the same as any other sinner. From outside of you, grace is shown. Love is shown. It's the only thing that makes us different. Apart from Christ's help, apart from the helper, he sends his spirit which we receive in baptism, we all, every last one of us, follow the passion of our flesh and carry out the desires of our body and mind. In sin, we're pleasure seekers, sinful, narcissistic hedonists. Or to put it a little more poetically, you might say there's an explanation for our population's life cessation. The reason for our heart's final palpitation The temptation of our spiritual gestation is our aspiration for a daily gratification vacation, an iteration of a post-confirmation graduation from one's incubation in the Word. No more maturation in the Spirit-led contemplation of creation or the justification that is ours in Christ, the location of of sin's negation. 
Instead of sanctification, man indulges in temptation and seeks elation after sensation, a demarcation which is the cultivation of isolation from God, separation, a delineation of the utmost gradation. We're all guilty of participation in the acceleration of human demoralization, acculturation with the devil, the demonization of God's good, true, and beautiful formation. And so we pass down condemnation, not salvation, to generation and generation, unable to make a single modification to our death situation. Or to put it simply, you're a sinner. We're all profane and pragmatic people. Profane means not holy. It means irreverent, defiled, impure. Think of maybe profane gold. It just means impure gold. We never use that language, but that's what we're talking about. We're, there's something impure about it. It's not 100% right. Pragmatism is interested only in what will work, what will get the job done. It's a practical philosophy. There's no concern for goodness or truth or beauty Pragmatic architects don't build buildings that just look nice. They build practical, purposeful buildings that get the job done. There's no room for the foo-foo, for the fancy. This is how we act in sin. As dead men, our profane and our pragmatic passions drive our thoughts, words, and actions. We follow our bellies. When we're hungry, we eat. When we're lustful, we chase our lusts. Practical people. But God, being rich in mercy, back in the text, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus loved you even when you were your most vile and in your most defiled state, impure, profane. He loved you and he loves you even when you didn't and don't love yourself. Jesus loves the evil, the liar, and the ugly. Don't forget that. It's him, your Lord, who makes you pure and makes you holy, who wipes away those nasty, profane stains from the desires of your body and mind, who washes you in baptism, scrubbing the evil Good, washing the liar until he's truthful, making the ugly beautiful. And here's the point of what you have in front of you from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
God is an artist, a craftsman. You are his creation. In Christ Jesus, he has reformed you into a new piece of art, a new construction, a new song. You're the new wallpaper on the wall. Beautiful. A new book ready to be read, a page turner, a a New York Times bestseller, a never-ending story in need of no sequel. Good, true, beautiful, perfect. That's you. And so now on to what we've already read in our epistle reading. Ephesians preaches itself. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus' blood, his death, is what redeems you. It's what pulls that that cast-off outsider near the Lord. It's what communion is. When you take communion, you are as near as near can be to your God. So near he is within you. And he's always within you. But the Lord attached his word so that you would be reminded of it, so that you would have that physical experience because you cannot see the spiritual. It's incorporeal. There's no corpse involved, right? And so the body, the corpse, needs that physical tactile reality. And so communion lets you know for sure that your God dwells within you as you swallow his body and his blood. The far off brought near. You brought near. For he himself is our peace, the text says, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. In Jesus, there is no hostility, no polarization, no division, because he brings all into himself, united, because he's fulfilled the ordinances and commandments of the law. What creates polarization in our society? What creates divisions in church or in your families is a comparison. Someone seeing something as being right or wrong, making some sort of perspective, decision, judgment about it. Well, that shouldn't be that way. And so I don't like it. Now I hate it. Now we're at odds with one another. In Jesus, there's none of that because he's the doer of the law and then he gives all the rewards, all of us. So we've all done the law perfectly. In baptism, you received your life in Christ. Jesus lived and now it's as if Raylene lived it. She has, she has fulfilled the law 100% perfect in baptism, in Christ. And the same goes for all of us. And so there is no disunity for we're all in the body of Christ. In his flesh, his life, he broke down the dividing wall of hostility, making two into one. He did so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace as Paul writes, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were already near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not foreigners. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You, my friends, are just as much a citizen of heaven as any Christian who came before you. 
Even the holiest of holy men, I don't care who you're thinking about, any of them, you and St. Paul, you and St. John, you and St. Bethany, or you and St. Bob, you're all the same. You're all members of the household of God, a family built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the words of the New Testament and the words of the Old Testament, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. All of scripture is about Jesus in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is most certainly true. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself he is your peace. Amen. Amen. Now may the grace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. Amen.